Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, October 14th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, the first district candidates lean into their core issues, debates past and future in the second district, and Sue Landers having trouble filling candidate events. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette and Cedar Rapids. With me for the podcast today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times is here. Hello, Sarah. Hello, Aaron. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Welcome, Jared. Aaron, I just want to wish uh, a happy Halloween ends to all who celebrate. (laughs) (laughs) And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Hello, Todd. Good day. And uh, as a reminder, if you're hearing this on uh, Friday yet, uh, if there's still time, uh, catch one of the last sessions of the Iowa Ideas Conference uh, that the Gazette has been putting on uh, yesterday and today, Thursday and Friday. Uh, a lot of great topics, a lot of great discussions. And uh, if you missed it, uh, those sessions will be posted online and we'll keep you posted on that as well. Um, let's get into it here and let's go in numerical order and start this week in Iowa's new first congressional district where Republican Marionette Miller-Meeks and Democrat Christina Bohannon are campaigning. Our own Sarah Watson caught the candidates on the trail this week, and it sounds from Sarah's reporting like those candidates were leading into the uh, top issues that they believe give them the best shot at winning over persuadable voters in uh, what we expect to be a, a competitive district. Uh, Sarah, tell us about that. You, If I remember right, you, you caught them both on the same day at separate events, uh, uh, tell me if that's right. And then uh, what were the issues you heard uh, those two driving at this week? Yeah, so they were both here on uh, Tuesday. Christina Bohannon was at a um, abortion panel with different faith leaders, Christian, Muslim and uh, Jewish faith leaders. And uh, so and Christina Bohannon also recently released an ad related to abortion and, you know, trying to paint. Marionette Miller-Meek says extreme on abortion, somebody who doesn't support exceptions for rape, incest, um, life of the mother. Um, but uh, as we saw in the debate, um, Marionette Miller-Meek and, and Ashley Hinson too um, say that they do support those exceptions. Um, so, uh, so that's definitely, you can see that backed up um, by polling, you know, in uh, the Pew Research had an interesting poll in August about uh, Democrats. It was about um, 71% of Democrats saw abortion as a key issue ahead of the midterms compared to 41% of Republicans. Um, so we see Christina Bohannon really taking a charge at that here um, in the final few weeks into the campaign. Um, and then Marionette Miller-Meeks, she was uh, she opened up uh, speaking for the um, um, for Harriet Hageman, for uh, the Wyoming congresswoman, or well, likely to be congresswoman who's running, um, who defeated Liz Cheney in that Wyoming congressional district. Um, and so Marionette Miller-Meeks really stuck to, you know, inflation and um, school issues, transgender girls and uh, girls sports. And so that's really what you know, we're seeing those candidates really hone in on those talking points here uh, leading into the November stretch. So for those of uh, you all listening who heard our podcast a couple of weeks ago, it sounds like Marionette Miller-Meeks was listening to Newt Gingrich uh, when he came through Iowa with his notes on what to talk about. It, it's interesting, Sarah, as I was listening, um, going back to the abortion uh, thing and, and the messaging there. It has been interesting to me. Clearly, the 
attempt by both parties here has been to claim the other's stances out of touch or extreme was the word you used. If I had a nickel for every time I've heard that word um, in the past uh, couple uh, weeks and months here, um, the polling on this is pretty clear um, that the a majority of Americans support uh, legalized abortions in some case. And, and, and it looks like what, uh, so that's what Democrats are relying on. And it looks like what Republicans are trying to say is, you know, they're pushing the whole, my opponent, wants abortions legal up until the moment of birth. Did we hear that specific line from Marionette Miller Meeks uh, that day? Do you recall, Sarah? Um, not that day, but um, she, I did an interview with her for an upcoming candidate profile. And that was, that was something that go. she said when, when she asked, was asked yeah. about it. Yep. There you go. So we can expect to hear uh, uh, that for the next couple of weeks here as well. Um, I, uh, I actually had sorry, a, go ahead, Jared. I had a question uh, for the uh, the old heads uh, on the on the podcast, uh, which would be uh, Todd and Aaron, I guess. Um, you mentioned uh, Harriet uh, Hagman, uh, Sarah, and I'm wondering how many times can you guys remember someone who actually isn't even in Congress yet coming to another state and uh, stumping for candidates? Yeah, that's a really good question. You see it a lot at the state house level because. Candidates will have will be uncontested, and so right. they'll go around and, and, and campaign for their colleagues uh, nearby. Um, uh, but yeah, boy, that's a good question. I, I can't think of any that immediately come to mind, Todd. I'm kind of filibustering here for you a little well, second, yeah, but I, I can. Yeah, it, it's un it's unusual. Uh, I I mean, I can think of people who won primaries and were were maybe going to win, but they were already in Congress or right. were, were established. They were an incumbent office, at least. Office yeah. Holders. Yeah. yeah I, uh, but you know, there's a, there's a, a certain amount of, you know, ill will out there for Liz Cheney. So I guess that's, that's why, uh, uh, Congre Congresswoman to be Hageman has, is tapping into that. I mean, you know, she'll, she'll take office and then be on a short list of, you know, vice presidential candidates or something, which is, you know, it's, uh, we also don't, I, I don't think we've ever had a nominated non-member of Congress come to Iowa who doesn't believe the last presidential election, believes it was rigged. I think that's, this is the standard that that particular lane is starting here. So a new record. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a historic moment. They should erect some sort of marker, marble, you know, or plastic or whatever you want to do. Yet another for here here we are with that word unprecedented again. <laughs> uh Sarah, before we move on, um we haven't had you on the show for a few weeks because you've dared to take off uh during the thick of an election season and I'll I'll let you it's not my business to say a while I'll let you decide if you want to tell the listeners. Um, but I, but, but um, so we haven't talked about this race because we lean on you for that um, so much in a while. Did, just do, what's the latest of your sense of that race is, do, do, does it seem like both candidates still feel like it's close and up in the air? Has anything changed Has the ground moved in any meaningful way in the last uh, few weeks? Uh, what, what's the, what's the lay of the land look like in the first? Yeah, I mean, if you ask both candidates, they'll both say that, oh, yeah, it's just still, you know, um, 
they've still both got chances and they're still both, you know, campaigning hard ahead of the November election. But um, there was a recent, and forgive me, I can't remember exactly what the name of the, uh, the political rating was, uh, rater was, but they did, there was um, a shift in, I think they shifted it toward the Republicans, like likely Republican um, when it was lean Republican, if I remember mm. correctly. And I think yeah. maybe that was in a campaign almanac. If yeah. anybody can remember. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try and hunt that down next time. Todd's usually the one who talks longest. So when he gets going next time, I'll, I'll look that up. <laughs> yes. I, that's not yes. even true. I had to pick someone to make the joke for and you, you drew it, Todd. That's not actually and, true. I just needed a target. Now I'd just like to dive into the history <laughs> of. <laughs> in 1992. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sarah. Um, staying in Eastern Iowa, but moving on to the new second district. Republican Ashley Henson and Democrat Liz Mathis participated in their first debate, right? Someone waved their hands wildly if I'm wrong. Nope. First televised debate. First televised debate on KCRG TV, which also just happens to be both candidates, former employer. Uh, Tom, you covered that debate. Uh, just open the floor. What, what stood out? What was your uh, reaction to the, to that t t TV debate? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was Liz Mathis saying the Biden administration has failed its, uh, at the southern border and saying that uh, it looks like chaos of the pictures of increased uh, number of migrant arrivals along the U.S.-Mexico -Mex border. Um, Mathis went on to say she supports hiring more Border Patrol agents, suggested new technology could help speed up asylum hearings, and uh, criticized Ashley Henson for going to the border for photo ops but refusing to work across the aisle to bring forth legislation um, for uh, complete immigration reform and, and a legal uh, pathway to citizenship, citizen, citizenship. I can't talk today. Um, Henson said the federal government should hire more agents uh, for Border Patrol uh, rather than the IRS. Uh, she pushed for and said that she pushed for funding as a member of the Homeland Security Appropriations Committee to fund technology that allows the use of drones and specialty cameras to monitor the southern border to stop uh, criminals and deadly illegal drugs from making their way into the country. Um, it was kind of a eyebrow raising response from Mathis, who has largely been um, effusive about the work and accomplishments of the Biden administration in passing major pieces of legislation and spending bills to address things like infrastructure investments, lowering drug and healthcare uh, costs for seniors, supporting uh, renewable energy policies that um, boost ethanol sales, um, uh, addressing gun violence, uh, and, and the list goes on, uh, and then going after Henson for voting against such measures. Um, so I guess um, it, it struck me as well as others uh, in the newsroom here at the Gazette um, as kind of an attempt by Mathis to position herself uh, as, as a moderate to appeal to um, kind of the, the Amy Klobuchar voter, uh, the working class white woman, rural voters who flipped from Barack Obama to Donald Trump and that um, as a group, 
you know, went from leaning slightly Republican to leaning slightly Democratic in um, the, the 2018 midterms. Um, and, uh, you know, the candidates who performed best with voters uh, in, in, in the uh, 2018 uh, midterms uh, look like Klobuchar, you know, running as a competent, moderate woman con- candidate who, you know, led with their record and ability to, to get things done. And it seems that Mathis is is trying to employ the same strategy. And it seems like her response um, to that question about immigration and the border um, was, was um, kind of evidence or indicative of that. Um, I mean, other than that, um, there really wasn't anything that really stood out to me. You know, we heard the same talking points, the same attack lines, um, the same things that um, Sarah talked about and mentioned um, with the, the candidates in the first congressional district. You know, a lot of the same things that we're hearing um, that, uh, you know, came out in the KCRG debate, um, you know, both sides trying to paint their opponent as a stream, extreme, excuse me, on, on abortion, um, you know, Henson um, hammering on issues of, um, you know, um, parental rights and, 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 you know, criticizing the transgender uh, policy at the Limar Community School District and hammering on, you know, inflation and um, gas prices, et cetera. All right. And now, Tom, you have the unique challenge of having to turn around uh, right around a week later, just less than a week. I can't remember which day the debate was this week. Um, Less than a week. Less than a week later. And these two candidates will debate again on Iowa PBS and Tom will be on the panel uh, for that one. So we look forward to that. And uh, that's always a fun challenge of they literally just debated a week ago and you got to try and come up with uh, new questions or new angles to get at um, uh, some of the stuff that they just talked about recently and, and, and find a way to pry the. Fortunately, yeah. Fortunately we have, uh, the great, uh, Kay Henderson as a, a, a capable moderator and, uh, I'll also be joined by NPR's Clay Masters. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm confident that those two, um, will make me look good. <laughs> and it's a whole, the, the producers at the show at the Iowa PBS are fantastic too. It's, it's a yeah. great group. It'll, it'll be, it'll still be worth checking out. So even if you saw this week's debate, we encourage you to I, uh, uh, watch. I, uh, I actually had a question based on one of the things that, um, Tom was mentioning, cause we've seen this in some of the other races to, to varying degrees. You were talking Tom about, um, you know, there being some moderation when it comes to immigration. And I think, I think it was in the nun race where they were saying that nun was actually the one that wants to defund police. I feel like I saw a, uh, a, a checklist of, of that uh, a couple of weeks back. And I'm wondering if, you know, some of these like attempts at moderating, you know, fail, whether it's at the ballot box or however you want to consider failing, if there will be a t- an attempt to like recalibrate again and like move a little bit more, to the left or like if it's just going to be more moderating in, in future elections, I'd be curious to see how that shakes out. Yeah. I, I haven't paid a whole lot of attention to um, that um, uh, third congressional district's um, race. Um, and I guess I, I hadn't heard that with regard to, to none in, in the issue of, um, you know, funding for law enforcement. Um, but what we have seen um, is we have seen um, Republicans across the country moderating their position on abortion. Um, and, and I think that, that, you know, that will probably likely be something that will continue um, into other uh, election cycles going forward, you know, in this um, 
post row Dobbs decision area. Um, I, I, I think that that's likely something that, that we will see. And, and we've seen it on the other side too. I mean, you talked about it, Liz Mathos talking about immigration uh, and the way she talked about immigration. I mean, so, and, and, and Democrats have, I think have definitely moderated stances on law enforcement, you know, support for funding for however you want to uh, say it as a, as a means of heading that off. Yeah. I see it's an interesting question, Jared. And I, and I suppose part of the answer will be given to us on November 8th. Right. Uh, Although um, even even then sometimes it seems like that'll happen and like you know famously after what was it 2012 that was when the Republican Party at a national level had the big post mortem about you know moderating on immigration on and immigration. Then, you know that didn't How'd really that happen go? in any <laughs> notable way considering who the nominee was in 2016 and his um, immigration policy yeah yeah so it, it seems like even sometimes when there are these attempts at moderating and they fail or however it shakes out that there still is not a lot of like reckoning with that for parties yeah. well and this and, and this moderating is sort of interesting i mean it hasn't it's it's not that long ago in iowa that if you wanted to ban abortion after six weeks or 12 weeks or 15 weeks with exceptions for the life of the mother and the health of the mother and rape and incest, that was an extreme position. The fact that you wanted to ban abortion at all. I mean, that, and now, I mean, that's putting, just, putting just, those, putting those exceptions in a bill is not what, what counts as moderation, even though, I mean, really you're still banning abortion for the vast majority of, of women after, uh, you know, p- perhaps at a date where they don't, know that they're yet pregnant so it's interesting how that's changed i uh, it's amazing todd i just want to jump in uh, to pig that dovetail on that point because terry branstead signed that 20 week um ban in i mean what year was that it was the second time around so it was was it uh 13 or 14 that they did that that the 20 week law and that was celebrated as a monumental thing yeah. Uh, well, and the, the and the and the original after the, you know the Roe v. Wade decision, I mean, that was basically had states overturned that were, had their abortion bans overturned, and they it was like uh, you know thirteen weeks, twenty weeks. I mean, these were not these were not draconian limits, but I mean, yeah, not and and there are there are a fair number of Republicans that don't want any exceptions. I mean the the uh, the Life of Conception Act doesn't make any of those concessions, and there are Iowa lawmakers, Ashley Henson, one of them, who's signed on to that as a co-sponsor. So, uh, yeah, that these positions would be have been unheard of at one point, and now, you know, just giving those exceptions is, counts as moderation, which is interesting. It's by the way, it's even more recent than I thought. It was 2017. Yeah, that Terry Branstad signed the the twenty week, and and that was like a, a huge thing. And now, my God, twenty weeks is it might as well be forever. And in 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 what that that movement has moved to wanting, it's amazing how <laughs> unprecedented how fast things have changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by Can the I way, jump uh, in? please oh, do. Sorry. If I could, okay, so earlier you asked me about the first congressional district race, and I apologize. I was just going to say that too. Numbers right away, but yeah, I, I read it completely wrong. Um, the ratings was from the Cook Political Report, and it changed its forecast for the first congressional district race 
actually to tighten the race. It changed it from likely Republican to lean Republican. So okay. actually in the opposite way that I said. So there it's, you go. Uh, according to that forecaster, it got a little bit tighter. Live self-fact-checking here <laughs> on the Iowa Politics Podcast. Well, that just is a service that we provide to you free of charge. Just think how exciting it will get if it, if it moves to like ever so slightly tilted <laughs> Republican or or slightly bluish bluish with a hint of red i want that's what i wanted my i'm now i'm gonna retire and start a new election forecasting service with fun fun ratings like that i love it okay moving on uh we zip across iowa i-80 now to western iowa where you can't tell a candidate without a program and that's mostly because fewer and fewer candidates are showing up to candidate events Okay, I'm going to pause here. Is that another one that the olds only get and the, and the young people don't? You can't tell a ball player without a program? I, what I, pro- I got it. So, yeah. You're, I know. Dude, you're making the case for me. Thanks, Ty. Oh, no. That's not the, that's not the ally you want, Aaron. <laughs> oh, man. I got to stop putting references in these scripts. Well, um, do you get, even get a program anymore, or do you just scan? One that's of those, what I mean, right? Scan they're, a QR probably, code as right. you're like coming into the into the ball game. I mean, is no, that- they they still they still give them, but you have to really be persistent about it now. You really have to pester them. Well, <laughs> let, let me tell you how much fun it is to keep score at the baseball game. <laughs> I actually, so I never do that at games, but I do love keeping score. Like I learned how to keep score, uh, do the baseball book before I learned how to write. I think uh, so. I actually enjoy that. Yes. Okay, so to get back on point, anyways, uh, candidate events in Western Iowa. Uh, Jared, we already went down this uh, path a little bit at the congressional level uh, with Republican incumbent Randy Feenstra declining to debate Democratic challenger Ryan Melton. Uh, but you uh, reported this week that now it's starting to happen at the state house level too. Uh, tell us what's going on up there in uh, Western Iowa. Yeah, so every year, or every election year anyway, and then kind of throughout uh, the rest of the non-election years, the uh, League of Women Voters of um, Sioux City has a candidate forum in the run-up to elections and uh, for county-level and you know state house candidates, and they had an event slated for Tuesday night that would have included all of the candidates for Iowa Senate District 1 and Iowa House District 2, because those are both competitive races with a Republican and a Democrat running. Um, and I say there, there would have been candidates um, for all of those at the forum, because one candidate in each of the races, um, Republican Rocky DeWitt and Republican Bob Henderson, both were unable to attend. Both of them did say that they had scheduling conflicts and that they alerted the forum folks ahead of time. And both of them hold positions that would keep them busy. One of them is a county supervisor and county supervisors have their meetings on Tuesday. But um, the president of the local chapter of the League of Women Voters, Dagna Simmons, did say that even before this, there's been an issue with local Republicans in particular not showing up as often to these events as they have in the past couple of years. Um, The Republican candidates in the county-specific races did show up for the Wednesday night event, Um, but I should note that uh, Simmons, when I talked to her, she was talking more about legislators and legislative uh, candidates at the state level being ones that are not showing up in uh, increasing numbers over the past couple of years. Yeah, and and I think all of us would say we're starting to see this a little more. Um, And look, 
um, this is a podcast full of political journalists. So, you know what we're going to say, you know what we're, we're going to think. Um, we're going to say we believe candidates should make themselves available for these types of events. And, and, and we do. Um, but I just want to tell folks, I promise you, despite what some out there may think of us, that's not to feed our ego or any sense of self-worth. We, we're, we genuinely believe in this kind of candidate access because we genuinely believe it makes for a better election process. Um, and, 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 and look, there's also no sense in uh, insulting everybody's intelligence and, and beating around the bush here. The majority of the candidates skipping out on these events are Republican. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's no small part due to the fact that a lot of Republicans feel like the media is biased, biased against them. Um, I'm not going to change any minds. I'm sure by saying this, uh, we're not, I, I promise we're not, we really aren't. Um, but you know, it, it, this is, like I said, it's happening as Jared reported in, Western Iowa, but I, I, I don't feel like it's unique to Western Iowa. Uh, so, Todd, let me ask you this. It, 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 are, are, are we being overly concerned about this? At the end of the day, is this not a big deal? Do we as journalists, are we too close to the fire? And because of that, we, we put too much of an emphasis on this type of stuff, these type of events? Or, or, or is this a genuine issue and a, and a subpar way of presenting candidates to voters? Well, you know, I think Part of it is that, you know, the, the League of Women Voters is, is clearly a socialist slash communist organization headquartered in Havana, Cuba. And so I can understand why Republicans wouldn't. I mean, has it, has it, if you've been to a League of Women Voters forum, I mean, the only way that the questions could hurt anyone is if you rolled them up and swatted a fly with them. I mean, there's it's not this is not exactly sort of got you. You know, oh, the campaign is just turned on a dime with that question kind of stuff. Uh, and it, it it does matter because, you know, for one thing, they're doing this because they want to control the message. They don't want to have to answer unexpected or question questions from from journalists or audience members of the League of Women Voters. They don't they don't want to be caught off guard. They don't want to be caught on tape saying something ridiculous. They, you know, they, they want this to be just about their mailings and their radio and TV ads and their press releases and what they put on social media. And they don't want anything to get in the way of that message. You know, they don't want to have anybody, you know, filter it in some way with, you know, actual facts and question what they're saying. Right. You're, uh, you're, you're ex exactly right. Yeah. And I've, I've run into a little bit of this, you know, they, they, they just want to rely on saying, you know, I'm for making sure that our elections are secure. They don't want anyone to push and to say, okay, well, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then getting them on the record and saying, well, that means I want to eliminate same, I want to eliminate same day voter registration. I want to eliminate no excuse um, absentee balloting. I want to eliminate the use of, of voting machines yeah. and tabulators and then pushing back on them and being like, well, okay, um, why is that? What's your foundation for, for wanting to eliminate those policies and getting election machines um, out, of, out, of, out of our elections and then going back to them and being like, well, you know, we have a Republican Secretary of State who's been pushing back against these myths and they don't want, you know, someone to fact check them on that. And yeah. Right. And, you know, it's, and I mean, we, uh, Laura Bellin at Bleeding Heartland reported this week that it's been you know, a long time since the governor had a press conference and that she hasn't really had that many press conferences in the last couple of years. 
Uh, I mean, and that's what happens when part of your agenda is sort of unpopular, school vouchers and, and some of the things, and abortion restrictions. She doesn't want to answer questions about them. That's why she's only agreed to one debate. Uh, and, you know, and the other thing is, you know, without those interactions, without them answering questions and being called out on things that they're saying that are misleading, I mean, their campaigns are misleading. I mean, there's lots of, there's lots of factually challenged and outright lies being spun by candidates. And if you never get a chance to ask them about them, that's all that stands out there. You know, you, what's your proof that Democrats want to, you know, want to have abortion up until you go into labor? And what's your, you know, what's your proof that Linmar schools are trying to encourage kids to switch genders and, and things like that? And that, because they know that they don't hold up to scrutiny. So they want to, they want to avoid those situations where they, they might get asked about it. And then, you know, they in, in turn blame the media, which being anti-media is, is a tactic and bias is an excuse to not answer pertinent questions and to, and to interact with voters and to interact with, with the media. I mean, we, we've, we've gone 180 degrees in not too long a time from when, you know, campaign press people actually thought part of their job was to get interviews and let you let you, and give you information and answer questions and clarify positions. But, but now it's just, I mean, it's just an adversarial relationship where and, they're, they're at war with the media and that's, and, that's all we've got. And in some ways this isn't even limited to, I mean, this is a politics podcast, but that kind of relationship isn't just limited to politics anymore when it comes to like PR or, or media people, you see that increasingly that kind of creep across a number of different uh, fields. Lord knows how many, you know, PR people we try to contact for big uh, corporations that don't want to talk to us at all anymore either. I'm sure everyone's had that uh, happen a time or two. (laughs) Well, and and, and I would argue going through that process is, is good for the parties because it makes for better candidates. Um, it, 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 I mean, you know, for as much as, you know, we hail ourselves for the role that we play in um, the presidential nominating um, process and being first in the nation and, you know, Iowans, you know, taking their, their roles seriously and vetting candidates um, for, for, for president, um, you know, I, I would argue that, um, you know, that, that, that same, same standards, same expectations should be upheld and apply um, to, to, to the state level races and to these county races. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's important that the parties can be able to put up candidates who can um, withstand the scrutiny, you know, can do a good job of um, articulating and ex- explaining their, their, their positions. Um, anyway, so I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I wrote a column this week about some newspapers in the Maquoket area that sent out questionnaires and, and to their credit, all the candidates answered the questions except uh, for one question that was basically, do you disavow the you know, disinformation over the 2020 election. And and some candidates just kind of danced around it and said, oh, Secretary Paul Pate's doing a great, great job. <laughs> and then some got, one candidate got mad and said, this isn't real journalism. You're carrying the water of the Democratic Party. And, and, and you know, one didn't answer it at all. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's the problem. If you can't get them into forums, then you try to send them email questions and they, and they, that's, that isn't optimal. I mean, we even gave, we, we invited every legislative candidate and supervisor candidate in our area 
to write a 400 word guest column to say, this is why I'm running. Here's something about me. This is what I stand for. And most Republicans didn't take us up on it. I mean, it's like, this is 400 words for you to say whatever you want to say. We're not, mm-hmm. we're not going to edit it down. We're not going to take stuff out of it. And not even that was, I mean, it's not like I say, it's more important for them strategically to look like they're anti-media and to rail on the media than to actually use the media for what it you know used to be used for. And that was to get out information about your campaign. Do the people who were, Trying to decide whether to vote for you. And um, Aaron, to, to answer another part of your initial question to uh, Todd, you were asking if we sometimes place too much of an emphasis on some of this stuff and maybe to do a little bit of self-flagellation. But, you know, maybe sometimes we do do a little bit too much emphasis on, you know, debates that are televised and everything like that, because, you know, they are easier to cover than other stuff, because a lot of times the narrative is, is right there for you and everything like that. It's a lot easier to string together a recap of, of a debate and everything like that. But again, it's still an opportunity to learn more about candidates. And even if it's an easier thing for media people, it doesn't mean them defending it isn't, isn't worth yeah, it. So. And, I, yeah. I, and, you know, it's, if, you know, gubernatorial levels, U.S. Senate level, Congress, I mean, there's a ton of information out there. People should be able to find out where these candidates stand on stuff. But skipping forums for legislative races and board of supervisors races, those are positions that don't get a lot of attention. And it's really mm-hmm. easy for candidates to just kind of hide out and rely on wh- whichever RD is next to their name to win. And I mean, I in my in my home house district, there's a a can- Republican candidate running. I I've never seen him. I've never heard his voice. Mm-hmm. I, I I know absolutely nothing about him. He didn't answer our questionnaire. He didn't send us a column. I mean, it's it's just it's an odd situation. But I think at those lower level races, that's where this stuff is valuable because people yeah. really don't know much about these candidates and sometimes even when you try to like try your best to to get informed about them like you were just speaking to todd sometimes you're just not going to find anything at all so Mm -hmm. yep and and to 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 do my best to uh, put one final pin on this um again i'm always uh, not always but i'm often trying to think of you know a way to communicate to the to, to the people who who might, you know, roll their eyes at a group of journalists um, talking about this kind of thing. Um, and, and for anyone who thinks like this is just purely self-serving, um, whether these forums happen or not, isn't going to change our job. I mean, we're still going to cover the race as best we can. I'm going to have the same number of hours in a work week that week, whether it happens or not, that the reason we care and talk about this is because we genuinely think it makes for a better, like it doesn't, my pay doesn't go up when I get to cover a league of women voters forum. You know, I don't get double time for those. Uh, yeah, man, it's, it's October. I, every night I, I try to watch a horror movie this month. And so if there's uh, you know, campaign uh, forums <laughs> or debates going on that, that takes away from that, you know, right, but, right. I, but exactly. I, I'd still like to see them going on. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, uh, I, you, I have to could... admit, yeah, I have to admit, I do get a, get a, an envelope of money from my Cuban handlers every time I <laughs> cover one of those events. So <laughs> I wasn't so. going to say that on the podcast, Todd. Thanks a lot. Now <laughs> we'll edit that out. Let uh, me tell Steve. you comrades. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, can you edit that out so Todd doesn't uh, blow the whole thing open here? God bless it. 
I better wrap us up now before he gets us in real trouble. <laughs> this is it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or you just want to reach out, uh, send an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team you heard from here today. You can subscribe to that on our book, On Iowa Politics newsletter, at our website, thegazette.com. It's only the name of the podcast and the newsletter. Why should I be expected to be able to say it out loud? (laughs) Lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs, Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Item 9 and the Mad Hatters will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.